You Decipher podcast, where we explore the ins and outs of university life and unpack what it means to be a disciple on campus. Well, good morning, Father Nicholas. Good morning, Sister Mary Helen. Welcome back. Yeah, I know. It seems like ages, but it really wasn't. If you've been listening every week, you'll realise that Sister Mary Helen had a week off last week or a couple of days when we were recording. So uh, it's good to have you back in, in the chair. Nice to be here. And we've got with us today Father Daryl, first time on the podcast. First time, first podcast ever. First podcast ever. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me, Sister, um, Father. Good morning. It's <laughs> all very formal. <laughs> for, for anyone who doesn't know Father Daryl, you're the chaplain at Deacon Geelong and the parish priest at Cryo Lara. Um, <laughs> that's <laughs> me. <laughs> How many years have you been ordained now? Uh, seven coming up. Yeah. Oh, perfect. And what were you doing before you went to the seminary? Woolies. Woolies was my, was my, was my life. Paramedics was the, uh, was the goal and studied nursing. That was, that was the way and God got in the way. That's, that's the line. And at I, which university? Swinburne. Swinburne. Okay. Swinburne. Oh, that's out, right. Out, you had the Melbourne, Melbourne Catholic article last week, right? Oh, that's yeah. you. Oh. Yeah, that's true. www.melbournecatholic.org. Yep, Father da- slash Father Darrell, is it? You got a link right <laughs> from the stump. <laughs> um, and anything exciting happening in your life at the moment, Father Darrell? Uh, you've got a new visitor, a new assistant priest at the at the presbytery, I believe. I do, I do. This new uh, member of the parish, Henry, a Henry. four-legged friend, my cavoodle. A cavoodle. Oh. A Christmas gift that arrived just about a month ago. Wow. Okay. And he's uh, house trained yet? Uh, mostly, mostly. I think he's training me. <laughs> what colour? Ruby. Ruby. Ruby with white patches. Oh, does he have a white collar? No. <laughs> Brown. Actually, he was George for the first first week first week and a half of his life, and uh, he and changed his name. Yeah, yeah, but he's he's learned it. Um, yeah, a few Georges in the family that I didn't think about. And, oh, uh, oh gosh. well done. Not well, with see, the, not I, with the I grew up as a Nick with a dog named Nicky, so there I. You go. I was a bit confusing for some people. And no name change. No, no, the dogs the dog lasted as long as I did, so I called um. our dog Jackie so that my mother just would give up naming the next child Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> it worked. <laughs> well we're we're mid semester. It's it's week six next week. Um this seven. week. Week seven. We're up to seven already. Mm. And of course it's holy week. Um, so it's a big week. Yeah, how are the priests feeling? You're shivering in your boots. Yeah, you've got to remember how to do it after the last couple of years. Oh, that's true. Yeah, Congregations are again. back. I, I love Holy Week. It's, it's, um, it's a wonderful week. Uh, some people get a little bit stressed about the liturgies. I, I not so much. I, yeah, I, I quite enjoy it. Um, and I'm, I'm lucky here in the parish. I've got a, a really wonderful choir and a choir director, um, a Dominican sister, not from your congregation, but from another Dominican congregation. And um, I think the music is the thing that stresses me out, like because there's three liturgies and there's lots of music, and so having someone who takes complete control of that and slightly more OCD than I am, so it's um it's a wonderful it's a wonderful thing. So I'm I'm heading in ready to go. Mm. Do you get exhausted after the whole thing, Father? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's short, long, right? Sure, absolutely. We've got we've got baptisms this year, which is pretty exciting. Oh, nice. Uh, eight or nine, two two families wow. uh, who have been waiting all this time, and 
Uh, we've scheduled their baptism three times over the last two years, and every time we do, there's a lockdown. So wow. oh. who knows? <laughs> no, no, we've just storm ahead. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but it is, um, it's, it's a wonderful week, Holy Week in the life of the church. And so we're going to talk today about the, the liturgies and the importance of the liturgies. Um, and I, like, I have to admit that before I went to the seminary, um, we were a family who only went to Holy Thursday in our local parish, and then we would go Easter Sunday at like a beachside, sort of stand in the back of a beachside church because we would go camping. So yeah. um, it wasn't until sort of once I went to the seminary that I really grew to understand the richness of of the Easter Triduum and the importance of of the the three liturgies uh, linking into each other. So yeah. I grew up with it because I played music at Mass. So I just loved it. But I remember just the liturgy being um, so tangible. You just experience the church as a mother kind of leading you through this experience. How can we get you to experience um, the death and the resurrection of Christ? You're listening to the You Disciple podcast, where we put the you in disciple. So obviously Holy Week comes at the end of Lent and I think one of the things that I normally speak to people about with that Lenten journey is we, you need to realise that a number of things have happened in our liturgy throughout Lent. So obviously we haven't been saying the A word, um, <laughs> I, I, I won't say it uh, now, but we haven't been saying, saying or singing the A word. Um, our music has been mm. a lot more subdued generally in parishes. I think the, the ritual sort of says it's you're allowed to have instruments but to... Only, only to accompany singing. Um, you probably would have seen a lot less flowers and no decorations, flowers, except for all of our wonderful solemnities. Yes, <laughs> and then on on the fifth week of Lent, um, statues and crucifixes start being covered up in our churches. So, we've already started to see some changes in in the physical environments of our church throughout Lent. And it all gets ratcheted up in in Holy Week. Yes. I think that whole thing about the liturgy itself sort of dies off and then rises up again. Um, It's beautiful. I think that the liturgy of the hours, people who pray that experience that on a weekly basis. You have this glorious Sunday resurrection. All the Psalms are very excited and then it just sort of dies off. And by the end of the week, you're like, have mercy on me, I'm terrible. You know, it's just, I'm in the pit. Uh, and then it rises again. But Holy Week is this climax um, of that tent, that experience of the liturgy dying and rising. It obviously starts with Palm Sunday. The week kicks off uh, with processions. Because it, it is one of the things about Holy Week is a, it's a week of processions. We make we we actually go on journeys. Body and, and soul. It's a body and soul experience. Yeah. <laughs> and we we're, we're put through our sort of spiritual workout. That's it. Um, throughout Holy Week, so we start on Palm Sunday with the sort of the procession, the blessing of palms, and the procession into the church, and of course the reading of the Passion, so uh, also called Passion Sunday. Right. Right. Moving deeper into it, we there's actually something that people don't often see is the uh, the Chrism Mass, the Mass of the Oils that are. Uh, that is held on the Holy Thursday morning or uh, or earlier if uh, if Easter they be Tuesday a, uh, Holy yeah, Holy Tuesday Holy Tuesday a, Holy Week a, a Tuesday Tuesday of Holy Week Tuesday of Holy Week yeah. bigger bigger days just like Melbourne mm. and, um, and we were talking about this yesterday um, as part of the broader proclaim team because one of the things that people don't necessarily understand about the Chrism Mass is that at that Mass uh, the bishop blesses the sacramental oils that are used in every parish throughout the year and in particular at the Easter Vigil. 
So to do the baptisms, um, you have to use at the Easter Vigil the oils that were blessed as part of Holy Week and the Holy Week celebrations by the bishop that year. So there's this um, machination behind the scenes, especially in the Diocese Sislage, where the oils get blessed and then they get whisked away. And whilst the rest of us are at Mass, this whole little um, crowd of volunteers put the oil into 200-plus bottles to then be sent out that evening with with the uh, priests uh, to go back to their priests, parishes. Priests that are pushing in line to, uh, yeah. to yeah, get, get, get your hands oils. on the oils. <laughs> I've got my people. They've been waiting for two years. That's, that's right. it. That's <laughs> right. it's, it's, a pretty, uh, it's a pretty interesting sort of uh, tussle at the end of Mass as the priests are all sort of trying to get their oils and get out of the car park. But there's something really beautiful about it because it is there is that real unity yeah. there that um, even at the Easter Vigil that we're, we're united with, with the bishop and the, the broader yes. church with the... By yeah. using those oils that were blessed. Particularly if there are those baptisms where we use those very oils which we picked up just a couple of days before. Just a couple That's of days true. earlier. I love the um, Holy Thursday anyway. It's just such a day of the priesthood. Um, and so I love if I can get to that Christmas. I really, really love it because it's a day I really pray for priests um, and their vocation and gratitude for that. I love that moment though in the Christmas that I think stands out to me is I don't know if you want to explain how what the bishop does to the oil. Yeah, yeah, the, the oils are brought into uh, into the sanctuary of the church, and then and the the bishop breathes on them, breathes on them, and and blesses them. It's so yeah. awesome! It's yeah. like this whole the Holy Spirit. Yeah, <laughs> and there is so the 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 three oils are blessed, and people might not be aware about this, but um, in a case of emergency, the the oil of catechumens that we use at baptism, a priest can bless and. Um, if, if it runs out. Uh, the oil of the sick that we use to anoint people when they're dying, a priest can can make or bless his own oil of the sick, but the one oil that we can't make throughout the year, or priests themselves can't bless, is the oil of chrism because it comes from the, from the successor of the apostles in the diocese. And just like the Holy Spirit was breathed on the apostles, he breathes on this oil. And so that's why it's used in the anointing of the hands of a priest, it's used in the consecration of churches and obviously in confirmation and baptism um, in the sacrament of initiation. But it, it has to be uh, blessed by the bishop at the chrism mass. And that oil itself stands apart from the other oils. It's mixed with balsam. It has a sweet smell. Yeah. And, uh, and, and when you explain that and you use that in the baptisms, it's, uh, it's, it's very special. It's, it's, it stands out. It's a real anointing. And a shout-out to the, um, the Carmelite sisters in Q. Um, now... I, I doubt very much whether the contemplative sisters in Q are listening to our podcast, but if they are, shout out to them because they make the perfume beautiful. that goes into that oil. So there's something even just really beautiful about the fact that here in Church. this diocese, this uh, community of contemplative nuns that most people would never encounter in their life, but they're united to every sacrament that is celebrated in the church because from from their gardens and from their hands, they make the perfume that goes into um, our sacred chrism. So that's really, I suppose, the beginning of the Triduum. It, 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 it's a mass of Holy Thursday, but it gets translated in most places just to make life easy for priests. But then I always find Holy Thursday like a day of expectation because mm. the mass doesn't come until the evening. Right. And it's just like you're sort of almost, especially if you've done all your preparations, you sort of then you spend the day waiting. And so it's it's a little bit like a wedding almost for me of, um, really sort of entering into that Holy Thursday Mass. But it's obviously a really, for me, it's quite an emotive Mass because it was the one ceremony that I went to as a, as a child. It's the, 
Easter really for me is Holy Thursday. Wow. Um, so I I have a particular um, love of that mass. Is there anything in particular about Holy Thursday that um, no, that stands out for you, Father Darrell? You know, in a very real way, it's the feast of the priesthood, where and the feast of the Eucharist uh, given given to us. And um, well, there's there's I suppose of the three uh, ceremonies of the Triduum, it's it's the one that you might say most resembles your, your mass that you go to on a on a Sunday, but there are two yeah, very distinct things. Uh, one is the, the washing of the feet. It's mm-hmm. that, uh, at, a, at a point in the Mass, uh, the, the, the people from the congregation are, are come up and the, and the priest, uh, imitating our Lord, uh, washes their feet, this act of service. It's yeah. really interesting because even as an assistant priest, um, you, so if there's a couple of you in a parish, you sort of generally split the roles up and... Uh, generally the parish priest, at least in my experience, got Holy Thursday. Um, and so it wasn't until about four or five years into my priesthood that I actually had to do the feet washing. Right. And the thing that struck me at my first experience was actually how physically taxing it was. Mm. Yeah, I just so, very much so. Yeah, kneeling, really. standing, sitting, washing 12 times between each person. And that just really struck me about the, the humility of our Lord, that yes. he would do that, that he would do something that was physically taxing. And again, um, we've we've made it a little bit more clinical because you always always make sure that the person has washed their feet already. But you've, you've got to really picture the... Do you do, <laughs> do that, <laughs> sorry, please. So recommendation. Um, COVID safe. And, but, and feet are still a pretty disgusting thing at the best of times, even when they're clean. But you think about the Lord who, yeah. who knelt and washed the feet of the 12 apostles who had been wearing sandals and been walking around in the dust and the dirt. And he did this spontaneously. So if it, I'm always struck by how how humbling it is. Yes. And I've got a clean foot. I'm, oh, I'm 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 washing I'm washing clean feet. Um, the other thing about Holy Thursday that I really love is the bells. Um, and I was talking right. to my sister about this before. One of the things when we sort of say we've clinicalized the liturgy a little is in uh, I think. In our modern days, we don't quite always understand some of the rituals that happen. So one of the things that happens at Holy Thursday is that we ring the bells during the Gloria. During the Gloria. Mm-hmm. And then from that point forward, the bells fall silent. Um, and we don't ring them again until the Gloria of the Easter Vigil. Yes. And the thing that really strikes me about that is that for us, okay, it's the altar server. And it's it was my favorite job as a young altar server was to ring the bells during the Gloria. But it's an altar server standing in a sanctuary of a church ringing the bells. And then we go back out and we've got alarm clocks and mobile phones. But if you picture the church of a small village and those of us who have been to Spain or France or Italy and seen some of these small villages with the bell tower and that the church bell ringing rings out over the whole city, um, the bells of a church regulated life for, for generations of people. And so when the bells of the church fall silent, then life stopped. It yeah. was the bells that told you when to have meals. It was the bells that told you when the workday began and ended. It was the bells that called you home to your family at the end of the day where the, the stopping of the bells over those periods of three days is actually really symbolic of the fact that life stops. For yeah. these th- or life at least should stop right. for you, these three days. You're waiting for those. And I think the, the whole bell experience comes from the religious life yeah. where everything is regulated by bells and that's the way that we live um actually when we stop the bells in the community uh we have bells not just at the front they're all through the community ringing off ah, all crazy bells um but then when the bells stop it means 
well, what calls you to prayer during those days? You're just in this ongoing prayer. The prayer doesn't stop. Um, but then you need something to keep all these people together. So we go around smashing sticks together. That, like that's your little <laughs> note. It's like the worst thing. You wake up in the morning, good Friday, <laughs> smack, smack, smack. Like, okay, wait, we are definitely in those. Yeah, a different period of time. Yeah, de- very different. Very stark. Um, just not that beautiful bell sound. And I think that's the... Um, yeah, well, we're going into into once those bells fall silent and concluding the uh, Holy Thursday Mass, we uh, we do fall silent. There's a there's no final blessing, you know, as because we're one one liturgy, we're moving right. into yeah. the silence, transferring our Lord from the tabernacle from the altar to a, to an altar of repose. And I think that's um yeah, it's really striking that we begin our liturgy on Thursday evening, and there's no dismissal. No one gets sent, and and the ritual just says all depart the church in silence, and so we we stay in this attitude of prayer, or well, we're, we're encouraged over those three days to stay in a semi retreat, really. Uh, yes, um, across this liturgy that extends across the days, rather than go in peace to love and serve the Lord, or go and announce the gospel. No, don't go anywhere. Stay. Yeah, go to the garden with him. Can you wait an hour with me? That that time, it's beautiful and not everyone can stay, but I I have a fond memory as a child of, you know, walking over to the altar of repose and with the parishioners that are really hardcore and just you could feel the prayer there. Like everybody wanted to stay awake and and pray and watch with Mm -hmm. the Lord. And I, I think the memory of doing something sort of for him it's this beautiful moment in Holy Week where he needs you. He he tells you he needs you. Yeah. Wake up, pray, pray. Uh, so I really I love that. I often we go to adoration for him to be with us, and uh, and this in a mystery of his love, he lets he invites us to be with him. Yeah. I um it was the first time I ever learned how to pray night prayer. So in my parish growing up, um that watch with the lord because again the missile says um until midnight and no longer like i know that's the worst when it comes at midnight take him away you're like it's it's, it's really interesting that like there's some (laughs) of these things that are really put in there but um in our parish we used to be encouraged to pray night or would pray night prayer with the parish priest so it was my first ever experience of the prayer of the church this simple um uh quiet prayer in 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 an adoration chapel um, on Holy Thursday, so we we enter into the the silence and the darkness with the Lord. So the lights are turned off, and again, this is one of the things that I think um, with fluoro lights and everything else we we don't see in our churches as much. But the lights are switched off, yeah. and we we enter into this period of darkness. The candles extinguished. There's he's not there. The altars are stripped. The holy water is t- like he's gone and it helps just the senses how you know the church really knows we are body and soul and we we feel we sense the lord is missing as parish priests we um i don't know whether you've got this father daryl but there's some things that parish priests hold to themselves and the one thing that <laughs> I, I i won't some uh, there's probably many <laughs> things but <laughs> the one thing i won't let my sacristan do is strip the main altar okay on holy thursday now, i don't know why but it's just my thing, and it's the last thing I do. As we, so um, again, the the missile calls for everything to be stripped out of the church. So remember, over the over the period of Lent, things have got less and less and less. And then Holy Thursday, we bring in flowers and candles again because it's such a great celebration of the priesthood. 
and the Eucharist, but then it all gets taken out, including the altars are stripped and they're stripped bare. And so it's my little thing is to strip the main altar and it's the last thing I do before myself going to pray at the altar of the pose is take the final cloths off the church and you're standing in a darkened church with nothing. Even yeah. even, no even the presence. Even the presence is, is not there. It's a, yeah. it's a room with pews. Yeah, yeah it just became weirdly... Un-Catholic, yeah. sort yeah. of. Yeah. <laughs> it just feels strange. And it is one of those times where, as a church, we do this sort of particular pretend sort of... It's where the liturgy has us imagine sort of that we're somewhere, even though we're not, it's sort of on that journey. So even though the Blessed Sacrament is still at the altar of repose somewhere in the church, there is that real feeling of the tabernacle is now empty. So when we do come in on Good Friday at 3pm, so again, you might have been there for the Stations of the Cross in the morning, but otherwise... It's been this day of expectation and waiting. You walk in and again, the church says, um, everybody comes in in silence and you're sitting in an empty church. No candles, no flowers, no cloths, no adornment and an empty tabernacle. And then if you're sitting in there and the priests walk in, I don't know how you feel about this, Father Darrell, but I'm always really impressed when the priests walk in in red vestments and they just prostrate. Does that... I don't know, does it take you back to your ordination or does it take you to try to be with the Lord? I don't know. Yeah, I, again, being a, only a new parish priest, haven't had a chance to, to, to lead it, to lead it uh, often. And wow. it's, it, it is a powerful moment because it's not a genuflection. There's not an act of adoration to the presence. It's a prostration. It's a laying down of your life. It's, a, yeah, it's, it's that flesh and blood imitation of our Lord. Yeah, in, into silence, into uh, into what is often the most packed church uh, that you'll find in the whole year, right. and the one person that we go to church for. Well, we go we, we go for many reasons and many people, but the the Lord, He's not there, mm. and that, that's where the church is full. And we go and we lay down because we we have nothing if He's not there. But in a, in an interesting way, though, He's much more present in the priest. Uh, even the way that you're you're laying down your yourself there, in imitation of him, that in persona Christi thing becomes really real. It's uh, the yeah. bit that um strikes me. Uh, it's slightly different in different churches, but the spot in my church where I prostrate is at the point where people come for Holy Communion. And so, not only my lying prostrate, which is, again, um, a reminder of our ordination and of the humility of the role of the priest. But I also, while I'm there, I'm going, I'm lying on a spot where every one of my parishioners has walked. Mm. Like, this is the spot where they, they and then I'm like, oh, did I vacuum this one? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, wow, like, and this is, this is the spot where normally I am ministering the Lord to them um, in, in the Blessed Sacrament. But this is the bit where... Um, that's where I, I lie uh, at the beginning of that ceremony. And you really do feel the weight because everybody kneels and prays with you at that point. And you do feel the weight of the prayers of your community with you at that point. So it's it's really beautiful. And then obviously well, you, the... You rise from that and the liturgy begins. Yeah. No welcome, there's no sign of the cross, there's no introduction. The liturgy begins. The, the liturgy continues. And I think uh, mm-hmm. the the word liturgy is important because it's it's a bit of a uh, it's a, it's a bit of a joke, but often uh, presbyteries get lots of calls during Holy Week of what time is Mass on mm-hmm. on Good there Friday. There is no Mass on, and there is no Mass, and it's it's the only day of the Church's year where Mass is prohibited. We are not allowed to celebrate the Mass. 
and the other sacraments even too, apart from in danger of death, um, the other sacraments are, are strongly, strongly sort of limited on, on Good Friday. We obviously hear lots of confessions on Good Friday and there's a, there's a few uh, varying, varying theological thoughts on that because really the period of confession was Lent and so, but we do it on Good Friday to really help, I love going to confess help, on help Good get people. Friday. But there is this thing of the church does not perform sacraments yeah. on Good Friday because the Easy. Lord is dead. Yeah. And of course we do, and this is one of those things of the pretending but the reality. And so there's this little, little yeah. balance. And we know, we know so much about Good Friday. You know, I was talking with Sister Mary Sarah yesterday and she said, oh, yeah, remember Christmas. We don't really know when Jesus was born. But when it comes to Good Friday, we know the day and the hour. We know hour by hour where he was. And it helps in that morning of Good Friday to – I always write a little schedule, you know, where is Jesus? What's he doing? What's going on? And try to live that's, that with that's him. That's lovely. Yeah, it helps. Yeah. Anyway. Writing that down now. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, the, the day is a day of, of fasting and abstinence. So by 3 p.m. we should be feeling a little hungry and right. we should be a little bit hangry, um, re- ready for the Lord. And at the centre of the liturgy, obviously, is the, the reading of the Passion. And this is, again, where there's a difference to what we normally do because the centre of our liturgy is normally the reception of Holy Communion. But on Good Friday, the, the centre of this liturgy is, is the solemn reading of the Passion and, again, where we all kneel in silence as we reverence what, what it is that has transpired at that time. And, I don't know, you read the Gospel all of the time, so you're often reading the words of Christ. But is it different when you're reading the Passion narrative and the only words you're saying are the words that Jesus said? Very much so. Very much so. There's a well. There's there's a weight to proclaiming the gospel, but when they're the, when they're the, the last words of our Lord, he's 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 very testament. He's going to his cross. Very 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 much so. Mm-hmm. And and then practically, when you it's it's often uh, read with others, and so it's not a matter of just doing your thing. You've you're working with others, and it's the, that that uh, proclamation as a, as a church. Yeah. Again, I um. And I don't know whether this is actually just how it generally happens or whether it's actually written in the book, but generally in parishes where I've been, and maybe it's because it's what I saw growing up um, and through the seminary, the priest actually stands at the altar. Yes. Now, I don't know whether that's because that's where there's an extra microphone or it's somewhere to put the book or whatever, but the priest standing at the altar, which again, the altar on our sanctuary stands for us as the representation of Christ present. And so standing there at the altar where Christ is, speaking the words of Christ. Always, again, that that um, the symbolism always strikes me as this is where I stand to, to read his words. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, we do a lot of um, whatever, bowing and all this sort of stuff. Dominican life is very uh, tangible. <laughs> Lots of possessions. And it's interesting because in Holy Week, it's so complicated. Where are we bowing to now? Where are we kneeling to? Where are we genuflecting? And that whole thing. Sometimes you're bowing just to the altar, you yeah. know, and other times you're um, genuflecting to the cross on that on that day in Good Friday, yeah. you know, and rather than facing the tabernacle. It's, it's one of the only times in the year. It is the only time in the year where we genuflect to something apart from the tabernacle, right. and that is the cross. And um, the cross... There's two points in in Holy, in Holy Week in the Triduum that I think the church is just having a bit of a laugh, and one is the is the exposition of the cross, 
Do you think? Yeah, because it, it, it's all really wonderful when you've got deacons and altar servers and uh, a bevy of people. But when you're a parish priest out there on your own and you're trying to do everything... Um, you don't like the singing. Carrying in a big <laughs> wooden cross. Yes. Um, unveiling it One with arm. the safety pins and or the, the, the bobby pins or whatever you've used to jimmy the cloth over it and trying to sing something that you only sing once a year. <laughs> It, I'm just like, oh, come on, you're having a laugh. <laughs> who, 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 whoever designed this liturgy? It's definitely the wrong moment to be laughing. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, this <laughs> after, after the solemnity of proclaiming the gospel of, of the passion, uh, uh, the next thing we do is, is to present the cross. I always feel so bad uh, for the uh, priest. Uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> they're just trying to sing and it, you know, not everybody has that gift. No, and but you're trying <laughs> to sing it holding something that sometimes, depending on your church, can weigh maybe 10 kilograms. Yeah, you need some Holding friends, it Father. above your head. And so in my church here, actually on the back of the um, on the back of the crucifix, <laughs> there's a note. There's actually the notation for the <laughs> the <laughs> singing. Of, um, it's the old notation, so it doesn't really help me. So then, obviously, we have the the veneration of the cross, and something that always strikes me is that the priest, again, whether it's by custom or tradition or devotion, takes off his chasuble. So again, the sign of priesthood, uh, he takes that off, but also is encouraged to take off his, his shoes. shoes. And parishioners always, there's always one who makes the largest stage whisper. So, why is he taking off his shoes? But again, it is that sign of humility um, as we approach approach the cross. Um, luckily, I wear boots, so it makes it a bit easier. But trying to. We try take off our shoes too when we venerate the cross in the common. Yeah. And we go and we kneel three times, and yeah. it's a whole thing. Yeah. yeah. But trying to take your shoes off with laces. In a dignified manner in front right. of a church full of people who are only there once a year, not always easy. Even without a chasuble. <laughs> you need some Good Friday shoes with no laces. So um, we go to the veneration of the cross and then obviously Holy Communion, which again um, is a more recent addition to the Good Friday liturgy because of our understanding of how beautiful and how important it is to receive <laughs> Holy Communion. But it's, it's, not, it's not the celebration of the Mass, it's, it's the blessed sacrament that's being reserved from the day before. And then, and then the day ends in silence. Again, the church says we depart the church in silence. We continue. This sort of tension, isn't it? Yeah. This holy tension. We're not done yet. Yeah, but a, a deeper silence than the night before. With Previously, we'd been keeping watch with our Lord. But now, liturgically, our Lord is gone. Our Lord has passed away. Yep. And, uh, and that silence is, is emptiness. Uh, not, you know, you, you're listening out for a voice that, that may not come liturgically. I think one thing that um, is really beautiful is that what stays in the church, and we are just talking about it before, about this, what we now genreflect, we venerate to, but stays in the heart of our sanctuary is, is, the, is the crucifix that has been there, and it stays there for veneration. And it always strikes me on Easter Saturday. So we go through the night and into e- Easter Saturday or Holy Saturday um, getting, getting ready, and obviously as parishes you start to prepare the church for the vigil, and generally the ladies come in to do the flowers and so the paschal candle comes stand comes out and it gets put in situ but often the cross is still there and there's a real reminder to me on on the, in the quiet of holy saturday morning that one replaces the other right and it, and it's mm-hmm. it's it's no one else would see it because it it happens while the church is closed and everyone's working busy but i stand there and go wait a minute it's actually we the lady will sort of say, oh, Father, can you move the cross so that we can put the stand there so we can <laughs> like, see no. how the flowers look? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, I, well, I can because this is what, this is this what happens. Yeah. The cross is about to be replaced 
by the Paschal Candle, by the sign of the resurrection in our church. And they actually generally will sit in the same position on the sanctuary. Um, but it's one of those secret things that priests get to see on, on a Saturday morning. Priests and the and the lovely uh, ladies who do flowers. Shout get, out to young to people. It. Get involved. Yeah. You see all these amazing things. Someone's got to do it. It's fun. I love that. It's like the best clean the chapel ever gets. And I, I love Holy Saturday because I go nuts and I clean the tabernacle and I change out all that, you know, just go a bit crazy. But we, we don't come back until um, the evening and it's one of those times where the church dictates what time the mass must be celebrated. It cannot start before it is dark because, again, remembering that darkness of Holy Thursday, the darkness of Good Friday, no lights, uh, nothing in the church, and then we start outside with the Easter fire. And so the new light of Christ that is blessed, with a, which is a really quite a beautiful prayer of blessing for the fire, and then the Paschal candle uh, is blessed and carried into the church. And shared with others, shared with those who are waiting, waiting for the resurrection. And the church, uh, in that explanation, asking us not to start, uh, asking us not to start before dark, it calls this mass that we're about to celebrate, the first one for a couple of days, the, the mother of all vigils. Yeah. That, and it very much, very much is. We, um, we, we, we journey through salvation history. We proclaim our salvation. Yep. Yeah. And this whole, the light, this imagery, you're just experiencing again, this very tangible, there's a light, but then you still are, it's not the full light because you're in the Old Testament, you're reading all these Old Testament readings and you're not in full light yet um, until later. And just before the readings, I think there's that beautiful um, repetition. So on Good Friday, we've carried in the cross and three times, we said, behold the wood of the cross on which hangs the salvation of the world. And then on Easter Saturday at the vigil, on Holy Saturday, we, we bring in the Paschal candle and three times we proclaim Christ our light. Thanks yes. be to God. So there's just that really beautiful repetition of... of that the resurrection truly has come. Mm-hmm. The Lord is undoing what has been done, mm-hmm. and uh, and if we haven't got the picture, when the priest gets to the uh, to to the sanctuary, he'll uh, he, he sings the exultet, the Easter oh. proclamation, him or, or a suitable. <laughs> <laughs> it's again, it's one of those things that you only sing once a year, and we all give thanks to God most of the time that we only have to sing it once a year. So does most of the parishioners. <laughs> <laughs> But obviously, we then we do we go through the 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 Old Testament and we hear about how God has worked uh, in the salvation of His people, um, and it's it generally dark and candlelit. And uh, to complete the sensory experience, there's always the smell of burning hair because one chi- <laughs> w- w- one child has got a little bit close to their taper um, as as they've been sitting there listening to the readings. And then obviously we get to the solemn proclamation of the Gloria, and this is where and the, the bells, bells ring. come back. Um, and and every light is turned on and every candle is is lit and again we sort of ruined it by fluoro lights because rather than sort of this instantaneous sort of light we get sort of flick 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 <laughs> and, and they sort of warm up and some churches they'll go through shades of blue before you get to oh, daylight white and things like that but again that idea that during the glory out the light re-enters our churches and mm-hmm. again the church you left was empty and bare and you come back in and Every bit of brass has been polished yes. and every every candle is lit and every flower pot is full and it should be the most beautiful um, our churches look throughout the year. Yes. We have one very bizarre little rubric for our community. So, you know, our habit is white, but in Lent we wear a big black mantle over the top during all the prayers. 
uh, and right up to Easter Vigil. So we're in the Easter Vigil and got these big black things on and then when the Gloria goes and the bells go, we throw them off. Oh, <laughs> so you, right. so oh, the, whole, the whole place goes from dark to light. Yeah, I love it's it. It's like that personal transformation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not allowed to fold them. You have to throw them off. Yeah, oh. it's really great. Introduce that into, into parishes. <laughs> <laughs> so then obviously we move through the, the gospel and the homily to what becomes the centre point of the liturgy, which again um, just speaks so much to the victory of the resurrection, and that is baptism. Yes. And baptism and the reception of adults into the church. And it's a really wonderful thing. And that can obviously only happen with the blessing of the water, which is the second point of the Easter Triduum where I, I, I go, did this liturgist ever like work in a parish? Because <laughs> you've, got, you've got the blessing of holy water and it's a beautiful prayer that outlines how God has, has used water throughout history in the salvation of his people. And then halfway through, and it presumes that you're singing it, which I never do, and halfway through... <laughs> Um, you then reach for the Paschal candle, which at this point is probably like four or five foot. It's been burning for a good hour if you've done all the reading. <laughs> and you're supposed to, without missing a beat of the prayer, take it from the stand and plunge it three times into the font. Oh, gosh. While still praying. Wax flying or, everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, it's, it's beautiful symbolism. It's yeah. really the, 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 the light of Christ that we've carried into our church is the thing that we use to bless the water that then is used for baptisms, not only at that time, but throughout the entire Easter season. But it's just completely the most impractical thing. And then again, the light shared with the congregation yes. once again. <laughs> so fire, light. Like <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you just sort of have... See, Archbishop has way too much fun with the asparagus. I yeah. mean, he oh. soaks, especially his friends, he soaks them with yeah. water. You're dripping. But do you just have a bit more fun with that? Yeah, well, that's right. you, the one sitting on the end of the aisles or, uh, or the good Catholics at the back. Often uh, we can start there and, and give them the, <laughs> the, the, first, the first signs of, of resurrection. I know. So obviously, yeah, baptism and adult, adult confirmation at the Easter Vigil is, is the high point of, of our, our liturgy. And so I set the challenge to my parishioners last year because we didn't have any here last year. Mm. And I said everyone needs to think about who they can bring next year. And I think that's a challenge for each one of us, like especially those of us who are involved in discipleship and the proclamation of the gospel is who are we who are we actively going to bring out and invite into this this relationship with Christ if we have been transformed by his light if we really do believe what we believe and what we celebrate together at the Easter Easter Triduum then it should transform us we should we should really go out and proclaim the gospel of the Lord <laughs> This is the You Disciple podcast. For more information on what's happening on a campus near you, go to udisciple.melbournecatholic.org. So that's our whistle-stop tour through the Easter Triduum and Holy Week. But I think the only thing that we can really, really suggest to people is that you, you go. Go be part of it. Go enter. If you haven't been to the whole Triduum before, make the time. Make the time. It's, it's well worth it. It's a retreat in itself. Very much so, and then live it. Every day, on campus. Awesome. <laughs> Great, Father Darrell. Punchy. That's all I got. <laughs> live it. It's true. 
Um, thanks for listening. Thanks for coming, Father Daryl. Thanks, Sister Mary Helen. We're going to have Thank a break you. next week. We are. Uh, everyone's going to take a week off for the Easter octave. Uh, and we'll be back in two weeks' time. But otherwise, uh, make sure you check out udisciple.melbournecatholic.org for all the different information about what's happening on and around campus. God bless. Whether you've been listening to us on the tram, in the library, or on your way to class, thanks for listening to this week's You Disciple podcast. Share, like, and subscribe, and we hope to see you on and around campus. The Disciple Podcast is a production of the Catholic Archdiocese of Melbourne.